That is what we are here to do today, to come and adore him. So uh, last week, we uh, blessed out our Operation Christmas Child boxes, and I just wanted to bring you a brief report that from Grace Fellowship Church, from the family of Grace, we had 1,255 boxes sent out uh, from Operation Christmas Child. Yep. We were also a collection center for other churches in the region, and totaling there was 3,713 boxes that went up to York, and out of that York distribution center was over 15,000 boxes. Here's the thing. Yeah, you can clap for that. Here's the thing. I didn't know this, but I just found this out this week. Is um, we, we look at those boxes, and we, we tell you every year, that box impacts a child, not just with a gift, a physical gift, but they get a chance to hear the gospel. Now, now, here's the other thing. The, the best estimates are from Operation Christmas Child that that, that provides an opportunity for that one child to, re, to enter into discipleship classes, and their best estimates is that one box affects not just that child, but their friends and family around them. So they estimate seven people are affected by every single one box. So, so you do the numbers on that, that's over 100,000 people just, just have impacted for the glory of God by the boxes that went out of York County, Pennsylvania. Go figure. Just imagine what God can do this Christmas season. So keep praying those boxes out. And I, and I just wanted to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving towards that. Those who, of you who served with our team, thank you for serving faithfully as well. So uh, thank you also for showing up faithfully. You came this morning, right? And, and we just sang that, oh, come all ye faithful. Well done. <laughs> you came faithful. Hey, here's... The question, though, what we sang after, O Come All Ye Faithful, was joyful and triumphant. So I know you came faithful because you showed up this morning. Maybe you tuned in online this morning. But, but did you come joyful? How about triumphant? Some of you are saying yes, amen. I didn't, honestly. <laughs> I woke up, I had the sniffles, I had a sore throat, I'm not giving any hugs today, go to somebody else to pray maybe just in case. I think we're distant enough, though. It's all right. But I didn't show up joyful and triumphant, but God restores our souls. And so I don't know about you. If I had to tally my days this week, this month, do I wake up joyful and triumphant? How many of those days do I wake up joyful and triumphant? Well, I wake up faithful sometimes. Yeah, I get on my knees and I pray, but am I joyful and triumphant? Our hope this year for this Advent is that we would enter and continue through this Advent with joy and triumph. Amen? So we, we talked in, in September, we took a little mini break from our Genesis series and did a three-week series on victory. And then we looked at the rest of Genesis kind of through this lens of God's victory in us. And now we're con- going to continue with this lens of victory around the Advent season. As we look at hope and joy and peace and love. I want to see the victory that we have through those. And so this morning, I have the honor of bringing you a, a message around victorious hope. Victorious hope. Vic- what, is, what is hope, first of all? If hope is a confident expectation that good's going to happen. When we have hope, when you walk through life with hope, you have a confident expectation that good is going to happen. No matter how you felt waking up, that good's going to come through. But is it really? I mean, how do you know? So it, it, it all depends on who your hope's in. We're going to find that out this morning. But, but tri- triumphant, victorious 
Hope, what does that look like? We were in a pastor's meeting this week, and uh, Pastor Phil reminded me of a story. I think he used it once before, but I'm going to tell it again. So back in the 1950s, at Harvard, they did this study, and it was Dr. Carl Richter, um, and his team did research and that has come to be known as the Hope Experiment. And what they did was they put rats in containers of water to see how long they could tread water. Before they got exhausted, before they gave up, how long could they tread water? And you know how long they could tread water? On average, the average rat could tread water for 15 minutes. And, and then they would get exhausted, and then they would give up. And, and, but, but what happened is they didn't let the rats drown. So this isn't a story of animal cruelty. The, the, the researchers reached in, grabbed the rat out, put him on the side, dried him off, gave him time to rest. And then you know what they did? Oh, this was mean. They put him back in. How long do you think they lasted? Swimming there, 15 minutes, they're tired now, they were exhausted, they just swam to exhaustion in 15 minutes, maybe 10, maybe 5, you know how long they swim? On average, 60 hours. They, they just wore themselves out in 15 minutes, and now they swam for two and a half days. You know what the conclusion of the researchers was? How, how could they swim that long? Because they believed they were going to be rescued. They had hope. Now that, that is victorious hope. Hey, this, this is the kind of hope that we can have. Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to just stop swimming whatever you're going through? There, there is a hope that comes that we can go far longer than we ever thought possible. Not not because we're strong, not because we're able, but because he is, because we have a rescuer, amen? All right, so let's, uh, this is what we're going to look at this morning. Victorious hope, and we're going to look at it through the uh, person of Zechariah. This is found in Luke chapter 1. As we look toward Advent, I'm going to pray once more, and then we're going to dive into God's word together. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that the story you have written from Genesis all, to, all the way to Revelation is a story of victory. And that is a, it is a story of hope. And God, I confess how many times, that so many times I wake up, and, and, and I can't say I wake up with, infused with hope. Lord, I'm sorry. Because that means I've been looking in the wrong place for my hope. When we look to you for hope, So I don't know how anyone else besides me walked in this morning, but Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the hope that we have in you. You have come to rescue us, Jesus. And so we can have hope in any and every situation. God, open our eyes and hearts to that this morning. Were there anyone who walked in this morning with hearts or minds filled with despair or disappointment or depression? God, I pray a special uh, just prayer of protection over their hearts and minds. We recognize that you see us in the pain that we experience in our lives, but that we do not have to walk through that without hope. We put our hope in you this morning. By the power of your spirit, we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and it says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. 
His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we come here to worship this morning, right? We come here to declare our belief in a God who sends his angels as messengers. But if an angel showed up this morning in front of us, we'd be terrified. And Zechariah was too. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Take those words to heart. Man, if you struggle with fear in your life... The word of God says again and again and again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, the angel says. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and not just you, he says, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Makes sense to ask that. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days... He has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so, here we have the promise of the birth of John the Baptist. We're going to get to later on in the chapter, you see the promise of the birth of Jesus to Mary. But we're not getting there today. We're just going to stay with the promise of John, who is the forerunner of Jesus. He goes to prepare the way for Jesus. And so, the angel comes to tell him, John will be born. You've wanted a son your whole life. Guess what? God heard your prayer. And the angel comes and tells him the good news. And Zechariah, here's the problem. He he, he says, how's this going to happen? It makes sense to ask that because he's old. Elizabeth is old. She hasn't been able to bear children so far. And so all he does is ask a simple question. How can this be? And, And the angel strikes him silent. 
And it's not so much that he asks the question. We're going to see, I think it was the heart behind the question. And here's the heart behind the question. You know what the angel said to him? Because you didn't believe, Zechariah. Because you didn't believe. See, here, here's the thing. The angel says, he showed up. I've come from the very throne of God. Zechariah, rescue is coming right now. And you've stopped swimming. How, how could you stop swimming? You're a priest. You, you've dedicated your whole life to serve God. And you've stopped swimming. You didn't believe. How did Zechariah get to this point? We're going we're gonna to see it. it says he and Elizabeth were pretty good people. How did he get to this point? You know how I think he got to this point? Because he wasn't putting hope in the Lord. He was putting hope in what he could see. He was putting hope in what he could see. And hope in what we see will always lead to despair. When you put hope in what you can see around you, when you have confident expectation that good is going to happen in your life, and here's the source of the good, everything around you, everything in your own life, Every single time, that's going to lead to despair. Let me say this another way. If you are feeling despair in your heart and mind, if you are feeling despair in any area of your life, chances are you're putting your hope in what you can see. That's how you get there. And that's how I think Zechariah got here. He put his hope in what he could see. So what did he put his hope in? What was in front of him? I think there's a ton of things right in this passage that he could have put his hope in. Maybe it was one of them, maybe it was all of them, but there's things that he put his hope in that we're tempted to put our hope in too. Here, here's the first one. False sources of hope, the world around us. You know what the first words I read was? In the time of Herod, king of Judea. We could stop right there. You know what this means? The world is going in the toilet. For, for, for Zechariah back in those days, Herod was the ruler of the Jews, and he was a terrible ruler. Oh, he did good things. He built a bunch of buildings. He expanded the temple. He tried to get the Jews on his side. But do you know how he afforded all, all, all the building projects he had? He taxed the people to poverty. And he was paranoid, and he was cruel. He ended up killing people around him that he thought were a threat to his rule. Everything around him he tried to maintain control. of. He was a terrible leader. And so Zechariah could have easily looked at the world around him just like many Jews in that day did. They said, we're screwed. We've got Herod in charge of us and he's not leaving. They had rulers of the Roman Empire that changed hands and Herod still stayed. Where's the hope in that? There is no hope in that. How about you? I mean, we just went through elections last month. We've talked about this a, a, a few times here on Wednesday nights and other times. Do you have hope in, in, in our world leaders, in our country's leaders? Have you shrugged your shoulders and say, well, this country's going in the toilet? If you've said that, you see, we chuckle, right? <laughs> and I, and I, I see where you're coming, but if, if you say that, do you know where your hope is? It's in them. It's no wonder you're despairing. You, you think the world's going to pot? Is your hope in the people in the world or the God of the world? Because if it's in the God of the world, nothing's going to toilet. He's in control of it all. So, so you can complain like everybody else. You can fit right in there, sure. But God calls us to shine like stars. You want to know how to shine like stars? Stop complaining about the world. Start putting your hope in God and saying it out loud. 
Man, I, I, I have hope that, there, that our country is not going in the toilet, but it's not because of who's president or who's governor or who's leaders. It's because of the God who's sovereign over all of it. That's where I have hope. Or maybe it's not in the world around him. Maybe, maybe he put his hope in his own goodness. Because, like, if we look at the world around us, man, everything's dark and everybody's terrible, especially the leaders. Well, well man, at least my little corner of the world can be okay if, if I just do everything right, right? And, man, Zechariah was doing everything right. You see what it says, he and Elizabeth? I mean, they were, they were, Zechariah was a priest. Check. That's pretty good. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also, they were direct descendants of Aaron, the very first priest. Man, talk about calling, coming from good stock, a good lineage. And, and listen, they, they lived up to it. Look at this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing not some, not most, not sort of, not 99%, all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Anybody doing that right now? No, I got nothing. Yeah, that's not, that's not me. But it, but it says right here that that was Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were doing everything right. And don't we get in this habit of thinking, you know what? It, as soon as something goes wrong in our lives, what's the question you ask? What am I doing wrong? Man, what am I doing? I must be doing something wrong. Because my, my life isn't working out the way I thought it was. You know what? I, I used to believe this lie that if I just was the nicest guy I could be and that if I did everything perfectly, everybody would think I was fantastic. How'd that work out for Jesus? Like, like I can't live perfectly. I don't do everything right. He did, and they put him on a cross. So, so listen, is your hope, and if I could just, like, clean my act up, and if I could just get to the place where I am doing everything right, like, that's, that's where we place our hope sometimes. And then we beat ourselves up when we fall back down. Man, I just got to get back up, and I got to do it right. And if I just do it right, if I just do it perfectly, everything is going to work out. That's not true. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, you're really good. Nope. But take heart, you'll do better next time. Nope. But take heart, he has overcome the world. Where's your hope this morning? If it's not in our own goodness, maybe we put it in our circumstances. I mean, we look around and everything in our life, we're doing everything right as, as much as we can. But, but, but here's what it says about their lives. But they were childless. They were doing everything right. But, but they were childless. Everything was not okay in their lives. And, and here's the thing. We, we look at our circumstances, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. When we get hurt, when something goes wrong, that can become the whole story for us. But, but they could look at their lives and, and, and say, man, everything else in their lives, they were walking it as well as they could. They were walking blamelessly before the Lord. They were righteous. From the outside looking in, everything in their lives was going well, except, but, but they were childless. Is it any wonder that Zechariah might have feeling, been feeling despair? And it's, it's just not working out. Like, if you picked anybody to be parents, wouldn't you pick Zachariah and Elizabeth? They're fantastic people. Anybody, like, you go to any, they go to any adoption agency. I mean, they're, they're put on the fast track. But somehow with God, they're not put on the fast track. 
Sometimes they look at their circumstances and it says, but they were childless. And this overshadowed everything in their lives. You know what Elizabeth is going to say later on? She's going to say, when, when she finally gets pregnant, she's going to say, the Lord has taken away my shame. The Lord has taken away my shame. Because here's, here's another place we can put our hope. Other people's opinions and approval. And you know how everybody else would have looked at this? If, uh, if Elizabeth wasn't getting pregnant, she wasn't blessed by God. Like getting pregnant, it wasn't just an unfortunate thing that she had, wasn't able to bear a baby. It, it was actually shameful. If, if she wasn't blessed in this way, everybody else was looking at her, her life and thinking, you're doing something wrong. So I don't know, you look all squeaky clean on the outside, Zach, but man, you got some skeleton in the closet because you're childless. And if you put your hope in your circumstances or what other people think of your circumstances, it's going to put you to despair every time. Let me ask you, for Zachariah and Elizabeth, everything was going right, but they were childless. What is it for you? Man, everything's going in my life, right in my life, but, but I got this pile of bills. Everything's going fantastic in my life, but I've got this one relationship that just will not work as hard as I try. Everything's going well, but I've got this, but the doctor just gave me news this week that, what is it, what is it for you? But I am what? But, but, but are you laid off? Everything was going well, but then you got laid off, and now you don't know where you're going to find work. Not work that's the same salary, but everything's going well, but I'm, I'm, I'm alone. I show up here, and I'm surrounded by a, t- a bunch of people, but I'm, a, I'm alone. How would you fill in the blank? But what? What comes to mind when that blank comes? Because chances are, when you've got something that easily fills in that blank, you're putting your hope and your circumstances and what you can see around you. Here's another false source of hope. Our own expectations of God. (laughs) You know what the angel comes and says to Zechariah? He says, your prayer has been heard. Well, that's good news, right? Except think about this. I I read some commentators about this passage, and you know what they say? Oh, well, look, Zechariah's here in the temple, and he's praying, and he got got his answer. Like that, God answered. I don't think that's what happened. The angel says, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers for a baby have been heard. Zachariah and Elizabeth are too old for children. You don't pray for children when you're too old for children. You pray for children when you're young. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I think this was a prayer that Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed decades ago. When they first got married, they were in their teens, late teens. They enjoyed married life for a year or two. And, and, and then a, after that, they, they looked at each other and they said, I think it's time. I think, I think we'd make a beautiful family together. So they start trying to have a baby. And they try for a month and they try for two months and they try for six months and they try for a year. And everybody else, all their friends from high school and everything are getting pregnant and having babies. And they try again and then they start praying hard. One year turns into two, turns into five. And then that lady down the street who's 10 years younger comes and says, I'm pregnant with my fourth kid. And they just pay smiles on. God, what are you doing? I think it was prayers that they prayed years and decades ago that as far as they knew went unanswered. And so it's no wonder when the angel shows up, it's perfectly understandable to me why Zachariah would say, how do I know? Like, you're, you're coming now? You're going to answer this prayer now? 
I've got a bum knee, I need hip surgery, and I'm supposed to walk around with a toddler. You're going to... Zacharias says to the angel, like, how am I supposed to get my wife's hopes up one more time? Like, how will I know? Because we prayed for years and decades, and then we stopped praying because we're too old for kids. You think God comes through in a certain way. Like, what is that for you? That a year and two years and ten years ago, you prayed a prayer... Nothing happened. We expect God to come through because this, this says he's going to come through. We put our expectations. If, if your hope is in your expectations of how God is going to answer, it's, it's going to lead to despair of how you see God coming through because we can't always see how God's coming through. Zachariah and Elizabeth couldn't do it. For decades, they couldn't do it. They couldn't see how God was coming through. And then he came through. Not just in how they expected to give him a kid, but he blew their expectations away. We'll get to that in a minute. And, and, and then here's the last place I see him putting hope. His own ability and strength. He says to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Like, <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're banking this kid coming on my loins, like, I'm old. I don't think we know enough medical technology. Like, nothing's going to happen. So, so, like, Elizabeth hasn't been able to conceive. I haven't been able to help. Like, the doctors haven't been able to do anything. So if this is based on me, it's not going to happen. How many times do, after, after every, every source of hope, we've exhausted it? Other people's opinions, our circumstances, nothing works out uh, trying to be good. Nothing works out. Our expectations of God, it just doesn't work out. And we say, well, I, got, I, I, got, I just I just got to try really, really, really hard. You know, I, I read the article, Phil sent me the article about that rat experiment, and I had to laugh because I got to the end of the article, and the guy who was talking about this experiment, you know how he ended the article? He said this. He said, these rats swam for 60 hours. He said, how much could you endure? How long could you go if you just had hope in your skills and your strength? And I laughed. The guy missed the point. He missed the whole point. Like, how long could those rats go when they were trusting their own strength? 15 minutes, and they're sunk. You're going to put your hope in your own strength, in your own control, in your own way to manage your life? Have a fun 15 minutes. No the, no, the reason they could swim for 60 hours is because their hope wasn't in their strength. Their hope was in that guy in the white coat who was going to come and pull them out sometime. They didn't know when, but they're just going to keep going because sometime he's going to pull them out. Do you know we have somebody a lot better to look at than a guy in a white coat? We have a God who has promised rescue for his people. In fact, he's already shown it. He's already come down to rescue you from the worst. You. Me. The worst thing about my life is me. <laughs> Do you know that about you? The, the, the worst thing about your life is you. But God rescued you from that. You can't fix your life. You can't please him. You can't earn his love. You don't have to. He came to rescue you from all of it. So how do we know? I mean, if all of those are false sources of hope, here's the one true source of hope. It's him. It's the living God. And so Zechariah turns to the angel and says, how do I know? How, how can I tell? And this is what the angel says. I am Gabriel. You want to know how you can, how you can know? Here, here's how you can know. I stand in the presence of God. 
And I, I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. He, he says, you, you want to know how you can know? Like, here's how, can, how you can know. I showed up. I'm an angel and I showed up right before you. You know where I was right before this? I was in the presence of the living God. And you know what he said? He said to come tell you good news. That's how you know this is going to happen. That's how you know you can put your hope in there. This is what God's done. And, and so you don't have a reason for despair. There's, there's no room for unbelief. Why? Because Gabriel stands in the presence of God. He has access to the very living God. Do you know that those who have access to God always have reason for hope? Those who have access to God always have reason for hope. Pastor Jeff has talked about this before. How the priests in the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, when something went wrong, when something went tragically wrong, you know how they would show their grief? They would put ashes on their head, and they would scrub their hair messy, and they would rip their garments, they would rip their robes, and they would sink down to the dirt and just throw dirt over themselves. Looks sounds crazy to us, but that's actually, it's... I don't have time to go there, but that's actually a healthy way to show emotions. Like, there are things in life that bad. There, there's pain that you've experienced in your life that, that you don't have to squelch, you don't have to squash. You can come before God and you can just admit, you can just be open with all of it before him. This, this hurts, this hurts, this bad. My life is wrecked because of this pain. You can grieve it. Everybody in Israel could grieve this way except, except a few, except the priests. You go to Leviticus, it says again and again in Leviticus, the priests, they're not to tear their robes. They're not to mess up their hair. They're not to throw dirt on themselves. Aaron was high priest, and his sons were priests. And and he had four sons at least, and two of them died on the same day. Two of them died on the same day. And God says to Moses, go tell Aaron, everybody in the nation can mourn. Everybody in the nation can wail. Everybody in the nation can rip their robes, but not Aaron. What, really? Not these people's dad? He just lost two of his sons, and he doesn't get to mourn. He doesn't get to grieve. Why? Because he's a priest. His access to the very presence of God. And so there is no reason for despair. He was the representative on behalf of the people to God, and the representative to the people on behalf of God and he's to reflect this in his life. I will not tear my robes because it, with access to the living God, there is no reason for despair. There's always reason for hope. Do you know who the priests are today? It's you and me. We have access to God. And, and, and Jesus came down and died on a cross, and when he died on the cross, he took on the full weight of our sin and our shame and all those imperfections, all those laws that you couldn't follow perfectly. He took the weight and the sin of all of it, and when he finished, when he cried out, it is finished, the garment in the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. That was the curtain that kept everybody else except the priest from the presence of God. Everybody else separated from God. That temple curtain tore, and now you and me and everybody else, by the blood of Jesus Christ, have access to the very near presence of God. And now Hebrews tells us, you know what? 
he, he tells us, he encourages us, he challenges us. Go boldly before the throne of God. Before the throne of grace. Go boldly. Don't go timid. Don't go wondering if you're going to be okay. Don't go wondering if you're going to be accepted. Go courageously. Go boldly. Go with a hope in Jesus Christ that you can stand before the living God. You have access to him. And so there's no reason for despair. Let us approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In your time of hopelessness, there's always help. By Jesus Christ, you can just go boldly to the throne. And that's where Gabriel was. That's where Zechariah as priest was. He was before the very presence of God and he forgot. And Gabriel says, you want to know how I know? How you can know that this is going to come true? I just came from the presence of God. And he sent me to tell you this. Your prayer has been heard. Listen. This is me talking, now, not Gabriel. <laughs> this is me, Ben, talking. Yesterday and today, I was in the very near presence of the living God. Very near presence. I, w- I, w- I went courageously and boldly before the throne, and I was praying for you. And you know what God told me to tell you? He, sa- he told me to tell you, your prayer has been heard. Like, I don't know what prayer you prayed five, ten years ago. You didn't get an answer to. God didn't come through the way you expected. He wants you to know something. Your prayer was heard. Maybe nobody else knows it. Nobody else knows what you prayed for, what you expected, what never happened, the deepest pain in your life. He does. He heard your prayer. And it's not that he just listened. Rescue's coming. Like, listen to me. Rescue is coming. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know why it's working out the way it is. I don't know why God hasn't come through the way you expected yet. But I can guarantee you this. Rescue is coming because that's who our God is. And we have access to him. Your prayer's been heard. And then, and then the angel says this. So this is how you can know. I stand before God. And I, he told me to tell you this good news. And then he says, you're going to be silent. So why did he make Zechariah silent? Like if it's so understandable for us and for him, why he doubted, why did he make Zechariah silent? And now you will, not, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. For the next 10 months, you're going to be silent because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. And it, you read this, and it kind of feels like he's treating Zechariah like a little kid, right? Like he's, he's just like, okay, well, you did bad. Now get in the corner, be silent, and you think about what you did for nine months. You just stay there, and you think about it, and you feel bad about it. That's not what he's saying. We look at this, and we say, why are you punishing Zechariah? He's not punishing Zechariah. You know what he's doing? He's preparing him. He's preparing him. I don't know why this wait is taking so long in your life. I, I, I know it's not God punishing you because all the punishment that was due to you went on Christ at the cross. And so what feels like punishment now is not punishment, it's preparation. It's preparation. 
do you know it? God grows us in hope to prepare us for his purposes and his presence. His purposes and his presence. This is what Hebrews says. It says endure hardship as discipline. Because God's treating you not like a jerk. He's treating you like his child who he loves. Parents, do you discipline your children? You do. I hope you do. None of you do, maybe. I I discipline my children. You know why I do it? I do it because I love them. I do it because someday, a lot of years from now, they're going to be out in this cruel, harsh world that they can't put their hope in. And they need to know what it is to live under authority. They need to know how to live under God's authority. And so this is all practice for them. Because I love them so much, I'm going to do all I can, and I do it imperfectly, and there are days I am awful at it because I am a sinful, broken man. But I'm doing my darndest to try to get them to put their hope in God, the only one who deserves it. Because I don't don't know what he's preparing them for, but I'm doing my best to prepare them for the life that they go out to live, for the glory of God, and to point others to him. Parents, are you living this way? Are are, are you doing this for your kids? Are are you preparing them for what's ahead? You don't know everything that's ahead for your kids. Do you know know what the angel didn't tell Zachariah and Elizabeth? Oh, and John's head is going to be on a platter one day. He didn't tell tell them everything. It's probably probably a good thing, right? Oh, oh, but he, he told them some. You know what he told them? Man, they wanted a kid. Look at this. They're not just getting any kid. They expected a kid. They longed for this kid. They said, we could make a beautiful family. And maybe, just maybe, we could raise a child who had impact for God. Maybe in this little area. It's, it's far bigger than that. God blows their expectations out of the water. He says, here's what your kid's going to be. You wanted a kid? You're not getting just any kid. This one, he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be set apart for him. He's never, don't, don't feed him any any wine or any fermented drink because he's set apart to me. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit not when he, not when he comes to put his trust and submit him. From, from birth, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. What's that mean? Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And you know what he did? He went to one of, the, one of the most famous stories of Elijah is he went before the people of Israel and he says, you have been putting your hope, you say you put your hope in the living God. You've also been sacrificing to Baal. You put your hope here and your hope here. It's time to start, stop waffling. It's time to, to, to get off the bench and choose a side. So you can keep choosing to put your hope in Baal. Fine, if that's, if that's who you're going to put hope in, go, go after him. Or, or you can put hope in the living God and never turn back. And this is the spirit and power that was going to be on John to preach to everybody around him. Everybody was putting their hope in things that they could see around him, around them, and say, that doesn't deliver You're never going to find hope there. Here's where you're going to find hope. I've come to prepare the way of the Lord. There is one coming after me who's going to baptize with fire and the Spirit. And I'm just getting you ready. 
He's going to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How does God prepare us? He prepares us with hope. Like who's, who's going to raise a kid like this? I mean, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're pretty great people, but could they raise a kid like this? They're doing everything right. Could they? It's not enough. They're doing everything right. They're following all the rules. It's not enough to raise a kid like this. They needed preparation. Because God was inviting them to not just be rule followers, but to believe in him and trust in him in relationship. They need to raise a child like this. They needed to be people of hope. And so when Zachariah stood before the angel and he didn't believe, the angel says, it's okay, I'm going to get you ready. I'm going to get you ready to be a father who's filled with hope on behalf of this incredible child. What about you? Are you a person who's filled with hope? Are you a person who's filled with hope? God prepares us for his purposes. That's what it says in Ephesians, that he makes us ready. God prepares us for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. If we are a hopeless people, if we are people walking in despair and disappointment, putting our hope in everything around us, we're not going to be prepared to do those good works. But, but more than that, this is Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you're not just prepared for good works. You know what he says a little later? Here's what God's doing. God's building you up to be the very temple of the living God, to be a dwelling place for him. See, he's preparing you for his presence. That despair doesn't belong in your life because you have access to God and because he has access to you. You live in him. He lives in you. This is what Jesus meant when he said that that he is the vine and we are the branches. That he's going to deposit his spirit. He says the Father and I will come and make our home in you. He's not going to come and make his home in a hopeless people. That's why he comes and prepares us. And so if you're feeling despair and disappointment today, what are you putting your hope in that you can see? Put your hope in him. And now, Zechariah needs to walk it out. See, this isn't just a waiting. Like, we, we say he's going to be silent for a year, right? And he's just got to wait. So does this mean he just does nothing for the next 10 months? No, actually it doesn't. Here's what he has to do. Here's how he has to walk out hope. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. After what? After, after this, Elizabeth became, well, after, after he was in the temple with the angel and all that stuff happened, after that, his wife became pregnant. But at, after what else, his wife became pregnant? Well, let's just say it, this wasn't a virgin birth. So, so Zechariah had a little bit of participation to do in living out and walking out this hope. He had to go home with Elizabeth and begin to have the most awkward game of charades ever. And try to tell her what God told him. And he'd go to the, down to the priest down the way and that's younger than him. And like, do you have any romantic playlists, you know, that you can put on? And order takeout from Elizabeth's favorite restaurant. Get the candles going. Sit down with Elizabeth and say, here's what God said. She, thought, she probably thought, yeah, right. 
He had, he had to walk in a step of obedience. What step of obedience do you have to walk in? And not just that, he just had to keep walking in obedience. So after this, Elizabeth became pregnant. And she lived in five months. She remained in seclusion, it says, and the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then, you know, what happens is it fast forward to nine months later, and the baby's born. And Zechariah still can't speak. And seven days later, they bring him in for circumcision. And the people are saying, what are you going to name him? Are you going to name him Zechariah? Because that's what that's what his dad's name is, so that's, that was the practice back then. Let's name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no, we're going to name him John. And they, are, so they start arguing with her. And so they make motions to Zechariah, and he asks for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. It was another step of obedience. Just like the angel said, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak praising God. The first words out of his mouth were not, I cannot believe God did this to me. I cannot believe God made me wait this long. I cannot believe God punished me by being silent for nine months. His, his words weren't that. He was praising God. How incredible that the living God would see fit to answer my prayer like this and to think I lost hope. He began to speak praising God, and then it just gets contagious. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Do you hear the hope overflowing to everybody else? Like, man, God could have answered that prayer decades ago and had them have a kid and it would have been beautiful and it would have been joyful and they would have looked like everybody else. Oh, but God waited. And they got disappointed in the short run. And in the long run, he blew their expectations away. And hope overflowed not just to them, but to everybody else. Listen to me, where in your life are you feeling despair and disappointment? Where in your life do you need to invite the light of Jesus to come in and bring hope where you have been hopeless? Because listen, it is not just for you. It's not just for you to walk in hope. It's for those around you. It's for you to shine like a star in the, in the midst of a cruel and dark generation that they would see people shining with hope. So what is it for you? What's the step that God is calling you to? What's the step of obedience that he's calling you to? Like if, 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 God is, if his word is trustworthy, and it is, what step is he calling you to? To walk in hope. One of my favorite verses that I've held on to this year has been, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So I have been putting my hope in the Lord again and again and again. And do you know what? I haven't felt like I'm soaring at all. I can't think of one day this year that I felt like I was soaring. But do you know what I've experienced? My strength being restored. I, I, I haven't stopped swimming yet. And, and how do you know if, if your strength is going to be restored unless you take a step? 
I mean, God says you're going to run and not grow weary. How do you know if you're not going to grow weary unless you take a step? He says you're going to walk and not faint. How do you know you're not going to faint unless you take a step? What step of obedience is God calling you to? To trust and hope in him. Maybe it's just this. Maybe it's just keeping Thanksgiving going. Maybe it's just in the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of unanswered prayers, you are just going to take a step of obedience and just keep praising him. Even when you don't know this season is over. Let's praise the Lord together and ask him to reveal a step to walk in obedience to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you that you have called us to be a people of hope. And that this hope is not a hope that's just wishful thinking. This hope isn't a maybe. This hope is a certainty. And we can be confident of this because we have access to your presence, God. And so we come right now. I come on behalf of all the people sitting in this room. All the people watching at home online. We come together. We come boldly. We come courageously before your throne, God. We come to ask for hope. We come to ask for help in the desperate situations of our lives and the times where you haven't met our expectations but you're getting ready to blow them away. In the areas of difficulty of our lives that we feel like it's punishment but you're just preparing us. God, I pray that you would infuse us with hope. We can have a confident expectation because our expectation is in you. So Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that at the end of this season, five weeks from now, we're going to be able to come together and celebrate your coming into our dark and weary world. We thank you that we don't have to look any further than the manger to remember that you are a God of hope who comes through for us. Lord, I thank you for the work that you are preparing us for. I thank you that you are preparing us more and more to be a people that are inhabited by your spirit. So God, do the work in us. We know it's not easy. We know it's not without pain. But we invite you to do it in us that we might come not just as faithful people, but as people joyful, as people triumphant, because our triumph and our victory is in you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Grace, would you stand to your feet and let's praise our God together.